Hi, I'm uh, Mari Kadabai, Film Programme Manager at BAFTA with producer Ed Guiney. We are going to keep this as interactive as possible, so we have about an hour, but I'd like you all to uh, feel free to ask, ask questions the whole way through. So if we just start at the beginning and then we'll move quickly through it, but just talking about how you got into producing and the first steps you took. Um, well, I was when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be a producer. I, without really knowing, I think, what that m meant, when I say a kid, I mean a teenager. I mean, I sort of grew up like many many of us here, I'm sure, obsessed with films and watching films. And I sort of also grew up, I'm really dating myself now, but I kind of grew up when um, home video kind of started, you know, where you could like rent video cassettes. And um, and I remember the first, you know, the first video store in Dublin where I grew up and the excitement of that being able to kind of rent stuff. And so, you know, myself and my friends would have marathon film sessions, just stay up all night watching movies. And um, and so I, I and I, I the, what I, I was sort of obsessed with reading kind of the um, biographies of a lot of the early kind of Hollywood studio people like, you know, kind of the Thalbergs and Salzniks and the mayors and all of those people. I just love those books and I love those stories. So I sort of gravitated to them more than, you know, weirdly, more than kind of reading biographies of directors, etc. And um, so I I, I, I kind of always had this idea. I mean, when I say always, I mean, from the age of about 16 that I wanted to be a film producer, but as I say, I didn't really know what that meant. And then I went to college in Dublin. I went to Trinity um, and it was, again, dating myself kind of early sort of days of home video, you know, port portable home video where you actually had portable video cameras and they were reasonably cheap. And um, I when I was when I was a teenager, I got to know Lenny Abrahamson um, because we we sort of were in the same friend circle in Dublin. Um, and I briefly went out with his sister, actually, when I was about 14. <laughs> Um, a very intense three-week relationship. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we, 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 we were in the same, we weren't in the same school, but we, we sort of went to the same parties and we sort of used to gravitate towards each other and talk about film, etc. And, and he was in Trinity, he was the year ahead of me. And when I, I think when I was in my first year there, I had a vi an idea to set up a film production society, basically. And I called Lenny and, um, and we set up a film production society kind of based on the idea of this, at that time, new technology, this kind of video technology that, you know, you could just shoot stuff very easily. Um, and, and I guess that's sort of, yeah, we, we did that. We, and, and we, that's how I started making things, making things with Lenny, just really rubbishy things in college. And uh, that was kind of how I got into it. And then so through the 90s, you started off with kind of doing quite a few early shorts and getting to that first feature production, producer credit. Can you just talk us through. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I, I so so w the, the first sort of sort of proper thing I did was, um, well, we we did it myself and Lenny and Stephen Rennix, who who, who was a friend of ours. And also has written all the music for Lenny's films and still is a great friend of ours. We did a documentary about Lenny's grandfather, who was a, a Polish refugee who came, ended up in Ireland, or, you know, kind of through the travails of, of the Second World War. Um, and uh, that was the first sort of kind of proper thing we did. But then we then the first kind of fiction thing I did was uh, I commissioned uh, another friend of ours, a Irish writer called Michael West, to write a, a, a script that Lenny directed. It was called Three Joes. And it was... Um, it was, it was, it, there were, it was about three characters of comedy. It's, it was quite funny, um, kind of silent comedy sort of thing uh, with two Irish actors, Gary Cook and Michael Murphy. And Dominic West was in it as well because he was in Trinity with us at the time. Um, and that, I suppose, sort of, you know, went to film festivals and started that whole thing going. And then I left college and I joined a production company in Dublin making documentaries. Um, and at the same time, kind of staying in touch with, Lenny and our other friends uh, and um, and then I then left that company and set up sorry but sort of anyway I set up my own company Lenny and Stephen and a whole bunch of people had a music studio in Dublin um, and and I set up my company within that music studio so it was a whole gang of us um, all very chaotic in a way and and start set myself up as a producer and I the first film I produced was uh in 1993, it was directed by Paddy Burnock, uh, who's 
still a great friend and with whom I'm still working. Uh, and it was a film with Brendan Coyle, who you'll know from Downton Abbey, uh, and Andrea Irvine, who was, who was uh, an Irish, very fine Irish actress. And that was really, that was the first thing I'd done. I mean, I, I, sorry, what I didn't say was, the other thing that was sort of significant for for me around that time was that um, the media program in, in Europe sort of opened up and I sort of did every course I could possibly do. I, you know, again, coming from Ireland where the film industry there was very nascent, it was very early days. The Irish Film Board was was axed in the kind of early 70s and then re-established in 1993, which was when we sort of, myself and, you know, my contemporaries kind of started making films, I guess. Um, but but also the media program offered all sorts of opportunities, uh, and I just did every course I could possibly do in Europe. I mean, mainly because, you know, as I say, it was like the infrastructure and the possibilities were so limited in Ireland at that time. And, um, you know, there were all these, like there was a great program called European Audiovisual Entrepreneurs, EAV, which still exists, actually, um, where they took producers from all around Europe and, and uh, you, you kind of go on a, basically extended training scheme over the course of a year. And that was very important to me because actually when the, the last block of EAV, and I think it still works this way, is, the, is what they call a market that you, you get introduced to kind of financiers from the market, etc. And at that, I met a German commissioning editor called Gebhard Henke, uh, who's, who's I think still the head of drama at uh, AORD or WDR, but he was in the drama department at WDR. And, uh, and I pitched him Paddy Brunock's film, uh, which, you know, he financed. So it was kind of the first film that we produced was financed as an Irish, um, Irish, German, French co-production, basically, with, with, with this guy's interest in, in Germany. Um, and then if we talk about um, element pictures in terms of, obviously, it's been known, you've nurtured and worked with a lot of domestic Irish talent from Lenny Abramson to John, John Martin McDonough. Um, in terms of working domestically, how has that come about and how is it that you've nurtured kind of these very domestic voices that have gone on to perhaps make very global films? Um, well, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, as I, as I said earlier, like we kind of, we sort of, we, we kind of started making films when the film industry kind of, you know, the government started to invest in the film industry again in Ireland. Um, so in the mid-90s, I suppose, broadly speaking. And um, and and it, it all just felt very possible. And there was a whole, there was a kind of a gang of people who had made, um, I'm sort of spontaneously in a way, even before the government support had come into place, there was a gang of um, people who, who were making what were very good short films, you know, that started to do very well internationally. And so there was so there was a kind of community of people. Um and, and I guess as an Irish company it was just natural for us to, you know, look look to our own backyard in a sense. Um uh and so uh, this the I can't quite remember the chronology, but um before I set up Almond in two thousand one I produced maybe three or four films, another with a very close still very close friend of mine, a guy called Stephen Bradley, which was a film with Brendan Gleeson called Sweetie Barrett. And then a film directed by Kirsten Sheridan, which was based on a play called Disco Pigs, written by Enda Walsh, which was Killian Murphy's first big film role, if you like. Uh, and then a film with John Carney, who went on to do Once, um, uh, called uh, On the Edge, again with Killian in it. Um, but also at that time, we were RT was opening up, so we were doing TV drama, and we were doing it uh, with John Carney. I did a show called um, Bachelor's Walk, which is kind of a, a, a kind of a kind of a comedy drama we made for RT and, and actually and the BBC at that time. Um, I've now forgotten your question. What was it? I'm just uh, rambling on. Sorry, as in working with. So if we like, oh Irish talent, yeah, no, it was just, yeah. yeah, no, it was just it was just natural and and. Um, yeah, we're, we're friends. I mean, it was just it was just that we were all friends, and you know, and 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 kind of found each other that way. And and so my, if you like, my peer group in Dublin was very much was filmmakers, actors, writers, you know, and 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 we just sort of fell into working with each other. Um, and so those, you know, those like all of those people I've mentioned are still good friends, and they're longstanding relationships, and. Um, 
and and then with Len, he was, um, I mean, he'd say himself that he spent, you know, good part of his 20s and even maybe into his 30s smoking dope and watching television. Um, but he also was developing a career as a, as a commercials director. And we, you know, we just kept talking about doing stuff. And, um, and then in around, I think about early 2000s, he came across Marco Halloran's script for Adam and Paul, uh, which he, he brought to us and which was the first film that we did with Lenny, uh, Adam and Paul. So with work, if we talk about working with Lenny with with that and with what Richard did and Frank and um, Room, in terms of obviously some have been extremely successful and some you we would have thought that would have hit a mark and didn't. For instance, if we take something like Frank, which had all the makings of something yeah. that could be such a huge film, kind of festival-wise, yeah. came out to critical praise, but for some reason didn't hit with audiences. When making that, what was your strategy in terms of who do you think the audience would be for that, and what do you think perhaps its pitfalls were? Perhaps? Yeah, it's. I mean, I I love the film. I mean, mm. it, it sort of. I mean, that was the fourth film we did together, and um, I think that we were we thought we were making a much more mainstream film than we were, uh, um, and I don't know. It was. It, it's a good question because it. it you know, it was probably too expensive in some ways. You know, you know, it ended up costing. I don't, I can't quite remember what it cost, but it probably cost four or five million quid, which is quite a lot of money for what you know what it was a very eccentric film. Um, we obviously had like you know our most famous actor in a head for most of it, in a fake head for most of it, which <laughs> arguably didn't help. Um, but I think um, I, 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 you know, I, I remember. Um, the world premiere of that film was really uh, not a good moment for us. Um, it was at Sundance. And, I mean, we love the film. Um, you, you know, Sundance kind of off, uh, kind of, you know, and it's a sort of, it's a sort of, yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's, it's certainly a, a learning moment, let me put it that way. And Sundance offered us uh, a slot and they offered us a slot on the first Friday in the Eccles Theatre, which is the biggest theatre, I think, in Sundance. Um, and... And so it was very kind of hotly anticipated and it was, it's a huge room. Uh, you know, it's like 2000 Caesar, I think, something like that. And uh, Michael couldn't come and I don't think Donald could come for, you know, whatever reasons they were shooting. And so so in one way we were like really teed up and it was all, the US hadn't sold at that time. So it was really teed up to be a big acquisition, you know, that it would be a big you know, and all the pre-festival stuff was all about Frank, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And although we were, you know, trying to talk it down, just there was a lot of hype around it. And it just turned out, like, there's, obviously, there's a lot of music in the film. And when the film played, the sound was off in the theater. You couldn't hear it properly. It was just a total car crash, basically. Um, and didn't... It didn't turn out, you know, like the kind of, you know, as you're kind of set up to do massive bidding war, all that kind of stuff, you know, it was kind of, you know, it, I mean, we sold the film in the US, um, but it, it was it was just it was it was kind of, you know, uh, it was a disappointment in. I mean, like, I think the film will endure and I think it's a great film. I think it's just that when it went out into the world, it didn't kind of it wasn't received with the kind of um in the way that we hoped or expected at that time. And um, I remember like some of the reviews were, I mean, certainly I remember being with Lenny the next morning in a diner and, and reading the first review that came in, which was from The Hollywood Reporter. And the guy absolutely hated the film. He's like, and we were just like, oh, fuck. You know, <laughs> I mean, it got a bit better after that, but it was just, it was, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty rough, you know. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, as I said, like, when I started reading the reviews and people were going, you know, this really quirky, wacky, eccentric, blah, 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 I was kind of like, oh, right, is it? Okay. Because I honestly thought it, and it is quite a mainstream, it's got a mainstream sort of heart, if you like, that film, I think, although it is, you know, very eccentric and I can see that it's very eccentric. Um, but, uh, but yeah, maybe it's just kind of, I don't know, not quite knowing what you have. But I mean, it's like, honestly, it's, it's I mean, I certainly find so much of the time that it's very hard to kind of calibrate what people will think of a film, you know, before you actually see, see it and put it out there. It's, it's incredibly difficult, you know, um, 
And, you know, people do say that it's kind of the ones you think are going to be successful aren't and the ones you think aren't going to be successful do hit a nerve sometimes, you know. So it's it's really, really hard, you know. And, and until an audience reacts, you know, or interacts with a film, it's not really a film, you know. I mean, it's still, it's still just a, it's just still something that's in the realm of, you know, a cutting room or, you know, a, you know, a kind of an empty screening room. So until people start to see it, it doesn't really come alive as a piece, I think, you know, and, and, uh, so, yeah, before that first screening, it's very hard to call. Even then, it's hard to call. And then, uh, so with post-Frank, then moving with Lenny on to Room, was it difficult then to raise the funding for Room? No. No. No, I mean, the thing about... Um, it wasn't difficult at all. In fact, it was it was kind of easy, to be honest. Um, I mean, the way, the way... I mean, the thing is, like, I think Lenny sort of... I think he's done Adam and Paul Garage and um, and what Richard did, and and although none of them were like big sort of box office successes outside of Ireland, in Ireland they did very well. Lenny was sort of someone that people in the film world knew, distributors knew, and financiers knew, and liked his work, and increasingly uh, liked his work. And I suppose the you know the other figure who's very important in in Lenny's life. Um, is Tessa Ross, who at that time was running film four, and she was a great champion of of Len, uh, and you know, and and you know, from his second from 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 Garage, film four were involved in Garage. They 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 weren't involved in what Richard did, but they were involved in Frank. And I always remember Tessa saying, you know, kind of saying, "Look, this is Frank." As in Frank is, you know, it's a very risky film. If it falls flat enough to face, don't worry, you'll get to make another movie. You know, you, you know, it's. You know, you don't have to think of it as sort of sort of the be all and end all, and um, and and I like it. It never felt like that actually at the time. You know, it never felt like because there was enough. There was and people liked Frank as well. You know, so there was enough kind of people who who liked it, even though it didn't do terribly well commercially. You know, it 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 actually sort of you know kind of certainly wasn't a disaster if you like um and and Lenny and I were anyway in a very kind of interactive process of talking about films into the future and we're developing a lot of things together and our and we were i mean I remember we were talking about books that came came out at the end of two thousand and ten we were just talking about you know uh, you know newly published books et cetera et cetera and room had just been published uh in America and had done you know done very well kind of critically and we didn't know Emma Donahue at all um but she was Irish obviously and sort of from similar neck of the woods to us as well grew up in the same part of town so although we didn't know her we kind of felt like we knew her in a sense um and Lenny read Room uh first and then uh, you know said you should read it I read it and I, I read it you know very quickly Again, I remember it very well because my son had just been born, um, and he's now seven, so it's seven years ago, and he was he was a little baby when I was when I was reading Room, um, and uh, and we we sort of put our hands up at that point and wrote to Emma with with Tessa's support, with Film Four's support, and and the book was obviously sort of it was a, it was a very hot property at that time, and we wrote to Emma, and Lenny wrote a long, kind of uh, ten page letter talking about how he would make the film of the book. Um, and, uh, really, I think at that point, Emma, Emma's sites were sort of elsewhere. I think, you know, she had just written the book of her career. Um, and I think the idea of optioning it to two guys from her hometown was not the most exciting. Uh, and, you know, she had other fish to fry, you know, there was a lot of big interest in Hollywood and in the book and all of that kind of stuff. And anyway, so nothing kind of happened, and it took actually just took Emma a long time to find an a to to fix on an agent to sell the book on her behalf because at that time she had a, a publishing agent but not a film and TV agent, and it it actually took her a kind of I don't know a good year or two. So we would just politely stay in touch, and you know, and 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 you know she would write back or her agent here would write back and say, look, we, we still, we don't know who we're, you know, don't know who's selling it, stay in touch, blah, 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 blah. And, and what happened in that period was Lenny made what Richard did, which again, you know, only enhanced his reputation. I think it wasn't like it was a huge success, but it was, it was a Toronto and it was one of the films of Toronto that, you know, there are always a few films that kind of get 
that stand out, not necessarily as massive commercial prospects, but as very good films or very good filmmaking. And um, and and it it played at Toronto. And again, we were politely staying in touch with with Emma. And then she she got in. She she came to terms with UTA to represent the book. Um, uh, and I think it was sort of we were maybe in Toronto in 2012 or something like that with 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 um, what Richard did. Then we were making Frank, I think that winter, and I think obviously because we were we were doing the film with Michael in it, Michael Michael Fassbender in it, it was sort of Lenny Starr was generally on the ascent, and he was becoming a more and more visible filmmaker. Um, and then Le- and then Emma came and met us in Dublin, and um, and 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 I think what what had happened is that she had sort of had lots of interests and flirted with other possibilities over that time from when we'd first written to her in 2010 but I think and she'd still say to this day that Lenny's letter the 10 page letter that he wrote was the best the best sort of pitch she'd had in fact one of the best things she'd read that was written about the book basically mm-hmm. um, and I think she, she the other thing which is just interesting is that although there were lots of other filmmakers interested in the book no one else wrote to her they 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 contacted her and made offers and all that kind of stuff but nobody else actually wrote to her and told her how she how they would make the film and so what Lenny so 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 this interest still resonated and by the time sort of she had appointed an agent and all that Lenny just became a, a viable proposition a more viable proposition and actually you know you asked the question was it easy to raise the finance for the film it actually it, it sort of was because because the book was such a thing and Lenny was a very viable kind of filmmaker at that point. So, so there was an awful lot of interest. And, and even without a script, book plus director was, you know, was, was something that, you know, the, the marketplace was interested in. Um, and the, the question then became how best to put the film together rather than how to, how mm. to finance, you know, not, not whether in, we could finance it. but In how, terms of the finance, it was still not, it wasn't a huge amount, was it? That, well, actually, you know what, it, it was probably it was probably more expensive than it should have been. I mean, the film cost about twelve or thirteen million dollars, mm. and we shot it in Canada, and it was an Irish Canadian co-production. Um, and what was very lucky about it was that Emma is is a Canadian national. Although she's Irish, she lives in Canada, and if if you can find find a way of doing a Canadian co-production, they have so much money there. They have like just loads of money there, and 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 it and actually. They struggle to kind of find things that are internationally focused. I mean, they make a lot of Canadian stuff, but part of the problem with Canada is a lot of their filmmakers go to America, you know, they go to the States. So they kind of struggle in their indigenous industry to find, you know, kind of really mm. high profile projects. So we were so 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 if you've obviously a Canadian writer and Irish director, you can that's a kind of it's a it's a it's a great opportunity. So rather than if you like take um you know, we would have, we would have had offers from, um, kind of I suppose more harder equity, if you like. We we chose to we chose to finance the film as an Irish Canadian co-production, which meant that we had we kind of maxed out in terms of how much we got from Telefilm, which is the is the is the BFI, if you like, of of Canada. There's loads of tax credits in Canada. I mean, every state has tax credits. Cities have tax credits. I mean, they've just you know as I say. Lots of money, um, and then we got money, obviously, from the Irish Film Board, and we had Film Four, and then Film Nation, um, who are just about, in my opinion, at least, the best sales company in the world. Um, they, they, they sold, they sold the film on our behalf, um, and we pre-sold it to A twenty four, which again was sort of a stroke of luck because A twenty four were just setting up at that mm-hmm. time, and. It was a massive bet for them. I mean, they paid two and a half million dollars for for the script, which is which was actually a huge bet, really, in a way, because it's dark material, and we didn't have a star in the film at that point. I mean, Brioni became a star after she won the Oscar, so mm-hmm. so it was a really you know really brave of a twenty four. But but the other thing was sort of having had that kind of fairly horrible experience of, as I described, of going to going to. Um, Sundance without a distributor, which is a very exposing thing to do. We we sort of thought, well, you know, given how difficult the material was in room, that we wanted to have a U.S. distributor, and it's an American film, of course, as well as was Frank actually effectively, but we wanted to have a distributor, a distributor there from from mm. the beginning, so that we could kind of 
build the film with them. Um, and A24 turned out to be just, you know, the perfect partners at the right time in their kind of evolution as a company. And it was their first big kind of big sort of award success. You know, obviously they had Moonlight since and and, and um, they have other horses in the race this year. Um, but so 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 we kind of put it together, you know, as a as a co-production with a lot of soft money, with some market money, with film four and 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 actually again it was partly because you know we'd never worked in Canada before I mean we had a lot of money to make that film really it was I mean I don't think ever before or since had sort of an, so much money to make a film you know I, I, what I mean is that there was just no pressure on like whether you could have a crane or steady cam or you know all of those things you kind of are always flashpoints and, you know, and always conversations with filmmakers when they, but there was, it just wasn't an issue and, which was lovely. And the other thing about it was that because we had a little kid in the movie, we had a short, we had very short days. So it was actually, it was a nice film. We made it over 10 weeks and, you know, the first half of the film we shot in studio and we were, it was like 10 to six. It was fantastic. You know, it was kind of, I mean, that never happens on films. So it was actually a very, you know, in a way, a very, it was a very pleasant film to make. And although the material is quite heavy in lots of ways, Lenny and Lenny manages to keep his sets. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's a funny guy and, 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 and his sets are warm places to be. And so it was, it was, a, you know, our families were with us and it was, yeah, so it was a very nice, nice film to make. I mean, where it works, I mean, the, it's pretty complicated. Uh, so I, I don't know that I can give you a kind of, comprehensive uh, answer to that I mean I, I can tell you the principles of it are is that you 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 know Canadian personnel are really important so the best version of it is if you have a British filmmaker or Irish filmmaker or, and a Canadian writer or vice versa Canadian filmmaker <coughs> and a British writer so if if one of those two positions is Canadian and the other is British or Irish or whatever that's really that's really important if you don't have that it's it's a little harder. It's not impossible. The other thing that is definitely the case is that it's restrictive on casting. And again, depends what your film is. But with us making Room, which is an American story, and I can't, don't quote me on this, but I think it's something like, I, I can't quite remember, but I think it's like two of the top three cast have to be Canadian. Now, in our case, we lucked out. And it was pure luck because when we were looking for the little boy, we looked right across the States and Canada and we'd already cast Brie at that point. So we cast the mother first, hadn't cast anyone else. Um, and it just turned out that Jacob was Canadian. And that was pure luck, which meant that we had more flexibility in casting Joan Allen and Bill Macy in the parent roles but most of the other cast are Canadian. So so it's or so basically the other cast have to be either Canadian or European. Um so it's so so it's it's quite restrictive in that sense. You know, it's uh, you know uh, um and uh, as to the so 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 in other words if you qualify with a with a kind of key creative as as Canadian then the doors to telefilm open and they're just a big subsidy, you know, big investor. So how did you go from making films to creating sustainable business? I mean, very early on, uh, I mean, what I didn't mention, I, it, I set up Element in 2001 with uh, my partner, Andrew Lowe, and we had worked together. I, again, knew Andrew as a kid. So we, we, we knew each other in Dublin. And again, sort of, he was, he's, he's as he keeps telling everyone, two years younger than me. But, but so it was particularly a contemporary of my brother's, but I was in school with his cousins and blah, blah, blah. Another kind of Dublin thing in a sense. Uh, and he worked as a production accountant on a, on a film I did, which I mentioned earlier, called The Tale of Sweetie Barrett, which was an Irish, I'm trying to remember, Irish, German, Irish, French, German, Icelandic co-production maybe or maybe it was Spanish in there as well it was a complicated co-production and he was a production accountant but he, he turned out to be brilliant at kind of putting the financing together and he had a background as an accountant uh, and um, and so so I knew him we were friends he then worked went to the Irish Film Board and became their head of business affairs and then we'd always thought of doing something together and for some reason I'd sort of 
I don't know. And again, you you know, you see this a lot that producers work together. You know, you'll find that there's two producers working together in a company. I think because it is such a, it can be such a lonely, lonely, lonely business to be in. Um, it's great to have someone who you can kind of bounce off. And certainly with Andrew, you know, he he's very good at, and the way we still divide our business really is that he kind of, he, he, um, he kind of looks after, you know, a lot of our deals or, you know, does our deals. Um, we also now run cinemas in Ireland and he runs that business and we have a distribution company in Ireland, which he also runs. Um, and I look after production and development, but we're very, we're very across both of the things, but just primarily that's how, how it worked. But anyway, to answer your question, very early on, we recognized that it w- would be very hard to sort of sustain a business just making feature films um, because so much of the time when you make feature films you end up having to defer your fees to just close the financing to get it done and you know it really is a labor of love and particularly when you're starting off there's so little money in it you know there really is so we so we've always sort of been kind of opportunistic around other possibilities um, and and one of the things we did back then is that we we the section 401 is the irish tax credit basically and it was it was um very attractive for american studio films to come to dublin to shoot at that time so we basically made ourselves a middleman for those films so we were an the irish co-producer but not in any way other than kind of as a financial as a, as an access to the tax credit and also as kind of troubleshooters in terms of you know hiring crew and just helping but we didn't have any editorial say and and as time went by that morphed into before the tax credit for UK TV came in here um, we did an awful lot of UK TV that shot in Ireland and again we were kind of the broker for that and so we did a lot of films with or a lot of TV with you know Tiger Aspect and company and like Murphy's Law and you know George Gently and loads of those shows shot in Ireland and Ripper Street and we were the kind of co-producer and that that allowed us make fees that then allowed us grow the company um and 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 we've you know we've always looked at sort of related businesses to try and find some stability in in terms of what we do and um we we've television production in Ireland local television production was something we did we've done a lot of you know when we can although once the kind of crisis hit in Ireland the recession hit in 2008 that was very difficult there was just a lot less opportunity in tv um, but we set up a distribution company, which has been very important to us. Um, and we set up the distribution company because we we either produced or co-produced films. Like the Magdalene Sisters was the first film we did. We also were the Irish co-producer of um, uh, The Wind That Shakes the Barley, the Ken Loach movie. And we watched those films being distributed back into Ireland out of the UK, effectively Irish films. And we thought, well, actually, you know what, we could do that. You know, we're in Dublin, we could do that. And when we had Lenny's second film, Garage, we hadn't sold any of the rights to it at that point. Um, and Andrew met a woman called Audrey Shields on a plane. She was reading a script, so he knew she was in the film business. They started a conversation. And she was an Irish girl working here in London, working for Empire Design. And she was thinking about moving back to Ireland. So we hired her to run our distribution company at that time. And we released... Um, we released um, Garage, which did very well, you know, uh, and and I mean, again, I'm jumping around, but 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 we we sort so we had a sense like, well, if we can, you know, if we can actually release Irish films in Ireland, they do really well. I mean, things like the Magdalene Sisters or 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 the Wind That Shakes the Barley. They're, they're, I think because it's such a small country, I mean, you have to remember it's, it is a very small country. It's like four and a half million people. But when if when something hits in Ireland, it sort of it can absorb the whole country in a way that I don't think. Mm-hmm things do here you know it's sort of so it's sort of it can become a kind of a national talking point like you know if you two are playing Dublin everybody's talking about that do you know what I mean or if there's an Irish rugby game on everybody's talking about that and and so Magdalene Sisters and Barley both were those kind of movies where like it's sort of the test is my brother going to it my brother's a doctor and if my brother's going to the film you know it's like okay it's sort of (laughs) you know um and 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 so we thought, well, if we could, if we if we if we are you know involved in films like that going forward, and we can hold on to the distribution rights, that could be a good business. And that turned out to be the case. And in terms of sort of related businesses, one of the most important has been distribution. Um, and in particular, the f- a film that changed our fortunes as a company, 
uh, was The Guard, the John Michael mm -hmm. McDonough film, mm -hmm. which we both produced with um, Chris Clark, Clark and Flora uh, Fernandez, who, who, are, who are John's partners. Uh, we produced it with them, but we also crucially had the Irish and UK distribution rights. We, mm -hmm. we, we pre-bought the Irish and UK distribution rights um, and, and it was a huge hit. So that was a very important moment in in the life of the company, um, and we had at that point we had we were sub distributing in Ireland for Studio Canal, which which allowed us and we still do, which allowed us kind of pay some of the overheads of the distribution company because we get paid a fee to to handle their films in Ireland, um, but also that meant when we had a film of our own that we wanted to distribute in Ireland, we had the infrastructure to do so. Um, so we're not like a proper distribution company in a sense; we're more of an opportunity. Tunistic <laughs> distribution company, and we don't always get to distribute our own movies, but we really try and distribute our own movies. Like we did Frank, for instance. We did um, what Richard did. We did The Lobster, which we co-distributed with Picture House in Ireland and the UK. So we try where we can to have a, um, uh, you know, to have a stake in the distribution of a film because it's, you know, as we've learned, and as I'm sure many of you know, it's like you know, in terms of profits in movies, producers are often the very last to sort of, you know, to see profits in films and distributors see more money earlier on. Um, and certainly that was, you know, that was that was the case with, with Garage. And that just, as I say, changed, in many ways, changed the fortunes of the company. And the Studio Canal deal, does it work both ways? Or yeah, it, it does, although, it, yeah, it does. Um, but they don't always take our movies. But but in the case of the guard, they took they they distributed it on our behalf in the UK, basically, and that worked very well. So, like at heart, we're we're film producers. We're we're film we're film and television producers, I suppose. Um, the the cinema is um, was always a dream of ours during the kind of Celtic Tiger, you know, you know, the boom in Ireland pre-2008. And we we looked at doing it and we looked at, um, you know, we looked at trying to build a cinema ourselves at that time. And I mean, there's no, that was more kind of emotional thing rather than, I mean, it was partly a business thing to, to you know, diversify and have other sources of revenue. Back to the question about being a film producer solo. Excuse me. And the difficulties of that. But it, it it was really, really expensive. And so what happened was um, this cinema called The Lighthouse was built in Dublin and it was built, um, it was a kind of quid pro quo for a big planning application. So so the government or the city gave permission to, these, to this um, construction company to build this big development as long as they made some part of it available for cultural use. So they made part of their car park available for cultural use. And, and then the government funded... Uh, various different parts of the government, including the film board and the Department of Arts, et cetera, et cetera, funded this this cinema called the Lighthouse, which was still a private cinema, primarily, but it had government funding and then private funding, and that opened in, I guess, two thousand and eight or something like that, just at the wrong moment, and they were locked into an ever increasing rent roll, which was impossible for them to make, so it 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 went well, it 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 couldn't sustain basically. And we had, again, sort of how we had had just had a hit with the guard, which I mentioned earlier. And and so we were kind of visible, more visible in, our, in, in you know, in the local sort of community because that was it was a big deal in Ireland that that film had done well. And we also had a little bit of cash because of that. And so when the lighthouse, it sort of became it effectively went up for sale, basically. Um, and we decided to make a bid for it, which we did do. And there was a lot of competition. You know, there was competition from UK cinema chains. And I mean, it is a really beautiful four-screen art house cinema, completely state-of-the-art. It's fantastic. If you go to Dublin, visit it. It's gorgeous. Um, and we 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 got it, basically. Um, and it has a covenant, which is that you, you that it must be a, of cultural, you know, it must, it's a cultural cinema in a sense. So it has to show... Effectively, what we call art house movies are specialty films, but that's fine because that's a good market to be in. So we, we do the same thing as Curzon or Picture House here or whatever, and we have lots of rep and opera and ballet and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
Sorry, your, your question was fingers and lots of pies, and I've just gone off yeah, on one. I'm just saying, is it is it your your view to? Oh yeah, to expand. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we're we're opening a second cinema in Galway, which will open sometimes this year, uh, sometime this year. But it's been it's uh, so yes, we'd like to in theory, but it takes a lot of like it's just taken an awful lot of time to with this new cinema in Galway. So you're kind of you're in construction all of a sudden. You know what I mean? And opening restaurants and so it's sort of. So I think at heart, you know. Yes, we'd love to, but we'll just do go away next and then see. Are we going to do it internationally? I don't think so, really. Um, I think we see our future, um, certainly in, in doing more of those in Ireland, not necessarily internationally. Um, but I mean, I definitely think, I, I do believe and, and uh, sort of have to believe, but I do believe that the, the, the kind of idea of going to see, to see movies in the theatre will endure. I mean... You know, we've had big screen TVs for years now and we still people still go to the cinema. And I still and I think also you're seeing a sort of a polarization in cinema going as well, where kind of older audiences, more, you know, educated audiences want to go to a particular type of cinema. And, you know, you still then have the tentpole kind of multiplex movies as well, you know, that that, that younger people will want to go and see. Um, but I, I still, you know, think that that's a that's a good business and you know, certainly something that's very important to us. Um, but I guess in terms of, you know, film and television, the making of film and television is, I guess, the heart of, of, the, of our future, probably. Thank you. We move that right to the back and then we'll come back to you. Um, and just in terms of that question with kind of internationalizing it, you have internationalized your business in the sense of incorporating far more international directing yeah. voices. You've worked yeah. on Yorgos Yanthamos's last three films yeah. and Sebastian Lelo's Disobedience. Yeah. Was that a conscious decision to kind of, you know, move out of a pool that you perhaps know? Y yes and no. I mean, um, and what I mean by that is, so basically, it's sort of, again, it kind of happened organically in a way. I mean, obviously, we're, you know, Ireland's very small, so you, you do run out of, people to talk to there sometimes and and uh and we've always been very as i think you know we've always been very europe centric and also very uk centric to be honest you know like the, like film four has been so important to us as a kind of as a home you know particularly when tessa uh, and and rose garnet were there and hopefully you know now that daniel's there as well but it, it's been i can't i can't tell you how important they've been to us in terms of our development as a company um but but in terms of the specifics of kind of working with international talent, I mean, the way it happened uh, really with Yorgos, who was the first one, really, is that we had a project with, which we've now made, which is called The Favourite, which we shot earlier this year, um, which was a script that we had, which is a historical drama. And we were looking for a director and we just, as you do, we watched everything, saw everything, saw Dogtooth, which he had made back in whenever that was, sent him the script, which was in a way quite a sort of, it was a, a costume drama, period drama. It's got a great sort of story at the center of it, but it's, but we were looking for a filmmaker and, and Yorgos liked the material and that's how we started that relationship. And, and at that point he was still in Greece, but Dogtooth obviously, you know, got Oscar nominated and, you know, is an incredible film and kind of announced him as a, an incredible new voice. And, then he moved to the UK because Greece was falling apart, obviously. And I think he wanted to make films outside of Greece uh, as well, work with international talent. And he wrote the pitch for The Lobster and brought it to us um, because we were already working together. Um, and, and that's how we started. So we did The Lobster, which was the first film we did together. And... and we had been planning on doing The Favourite as the second film that we would do together. But in the meantime, he had written what what is Killing of a Sacred Deer with Ephthemis, his partner. So Ephthemis and, and Yorgos wrote The Lobster and Deer and Dogtooth the, to the, and, uh, and um, Alps. Um, um, so, that, so that's kind of a writing partnership. The Favourite was written by a guy called Tony McNamara, an Australian writer, um, so, so anyway, sorry. Um, so what happened was we'd been planning to make The Favourite as the second film we would do together, but our, we had a kind of ca complicated casting issues, so we ended up having to put it back and shoot it this year as opposed to last year. And because we already had a script for Killing Your Sacred Deer, we decided to try and get it done really quickly, which we, which we did do. 
So, and that, that was set. And I mean, you, when Yorgos and Ephemis first wrote it, and again, you, you know, you'll know if you know their movies, like, like Dogtooth could be set anywhere. I mean, it's, it's in Greek and it's set in Athens, but I don't know, like when, when Kilimisegadir first came to us, it was set in suburbia and it was about a doctor and his wife and their family. It wasn't set anywhere in particular. And we talked about where we would set it. We could have set it here in the UK or we could have set it in America. But because it was about a wealthy doctor in a particular world, it sort of felt like more like an American story. And also, I guess that opens up other casting possibilities as well. Although, as it turned out, you know, both Nicole and Colin could easily play British. But, you know, it just it just opens opens up casting possibilities. And I guess, you know, The Lobster was a hard film to make in lots of ways. And I think Yorgos was interested in trying to work in the States and... Um, uh, and so, sorry, yeah. So, 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 I think having having done that, having done that, I guess, and it was also partly informed by the experience with Len. And I, I mentioned earlier that kind of Lenny was sort of like, in a way, he was a bit of a secret, like in the world, like up until Frank, really. But he had made three really good films, you know, and and that's no backhanded compliment to me. It's purely a compliment to him. You know, they were really outstanding pieces of cinema which were getting lots of critical attention and industry attention but not really you know big box office things and I think I think so so we kind of had this thought well you know there must be other Lennies out there as in you know people working in other European countries not just European countries but people who are really fine filmmakers working in a domestic marketplace working maybe in not, not in the English language who would like to make films in the English language but maybe don't want to go to Hollywood, would still make, want to make ter- films on their own terms, if you like. Um, and, and so I suppose that's something that we, you know, ha- sort of are actively looking to do more of as a company is sort of be a company that can work with filmmakers who want to maybe, you know, begin to work in, in the English language with all that implies in terms of access to cast, particularly because that's what excites filmmakers is you know, actors, an awful lot of the time it's a possibility of working with actors. And then if you work with high profile actors, there's a chance of getting your movies out there. You know, I mean, you, you know, Yorgos could have made Killing You to Say Good Deer in Greece. They would never have the possibilities or The Lobster, indeed. Neither of them would have had the possibilities they have when you have, you know, well-known cast attached. Um, it's not to say they wouldn't have done well. It's just it really helps when you have, you know, big cast attached. But also such an international cast that then... A, um, is attractive to lots of different yeah. countries. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, with, with The Lobster, what what just was lucky about that is that because it's set in a kind of a weird future, not future, like a parallel world, you know, where weird rules apply, you can completely internationalize that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you've, you know, you know, people from wherever in it, it you know, they, they can sit in that world very easily. So you've all sorts of accents and colors and creeds and that's fine, you know. Um, uh, and that, that just was sort of serendipitous with that film. But it did really help in terms of co-production and all that stuff. Um, but, but it's certainly something we want to do more of for sure. Because I think, like as a company, we, we have the trust of a lot of the American agents now because we've worked with a lot of well-known actors here and and that matters a lot. It matters an awful lot to them that, you know, if they send Emma Stone to the UK that she'll get well looked after or Rachel McAdams or whoever it might be that they're well looked after. And, and also what's helped with us as well is having had nominations on Room because then they can just say, oh, they're the people behind Room and they go, oh, okay, fine. You know, it's, it, just, it just helps. I mean, it just, it's, it's just shorthand that helps, helps with, with that stuff. So I think we've, we feel like we have something to offer filmmakers who may want to work in the English language. And, you know, we're working with um, Grimer Harkasson, I hope I pronounced that correctly, who did um, Rams. I don't know if you've seen it. Great Icelandic film called Rams. So we're working with him at the moment, hoping to do his first English language film, which will be set in America um, and are kind of trying to develop more relationships like that. But but at the same time, you know, very much paying attention to hopefully the, those key relationships we have with Lenny and Yorgos and, and the fact that we are a company that effectively we're kind of an Anglo-Irish company. You know, we, we operate here and in Ireland and, and feel very much part of the fabric of of the community here in, in the UK, in London, very much part of the fabric of the filmmaking community here as well as 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 in Ireland, you know. 
you know, it takes years for, you know, the revenues to come through. Um, but I think it, it and I, so I can't, I don't actually have the chapter and verse on that, but it did, you know, it did well. Um, I don't know what the, you know, P&L is in the States, for instance, as in, you know, A24, I think the film grossed around 13 or $14 million, maybe a bit more, maybe it's 15, I can't quite remember. But A24 would probably have spent that you know, to, to market the film, you know, because it was very awards heavy and, you know, that's all incredibly expensive. So then, you know, you're looking to recoup not only out of theatrical, but also ancillaries. So, 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 so in general terms, the film has done well, but it's still the, we're still getting monies in all the time, basically, as it hits different windows and, uh, and, and so for some people it's probably in profit and for others it's, they're probably still in deficit, but would hope to hope to hope to be in profit. I mean, that, that sounds like a vague answer. I just don't have the the details. But it, but yeah, certainly you know, for our for us, it did well. We did well out of it financially. Um, um, I mean, the other thing that you know happens, which is really important as a kind of source of revenue for producers and directors and writers and actors, is you get um, box office and awards bonuses. So in other words, if, if a film, it's, it sort of, I think, comes from, you know, the kind of notorious Hollywood accounting where you can have, you can, your film can do really well, but actually you're still not seeing any money. So one of the solutions to that, one very common solution is what, what's, is you have a box office bonus. So in other words, if the film hits a certain box office, like say, it, it totally depends, the budget of the film and the capacity, but say at $10 million, you get $100,000. And and every two and a half million dollars after that, you get another hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. It could be any, <laughs> might be fifty thousand dollars, might be ten thousand dollars. You know, um, and then you also get bonuses if you get nominations and or wins. So if you get an Oscar nomination or a Golden Globe nomination or sometimes a BAFTA nomination, you get a bonus again. And so, so for us, you know, the income from Room is partly related to revenue that comes from the film, the fees we made in producing the film, and these bonuses, basically, that came afterwards. They're a source of huge negotiation. Uh, you know, they are, it's always a big thing, you know, because... So they worked out with the sales company, but also with the distributors. And also, like, what you have to be really careful of is if you don't have a distributor and you, and you put, you know, one of the ones that's very you know, controversial is, is a, is a BAFTA bonus. Um, because, um, because if you have too big a, a bonus, so in other words, say you get a, a bonus for getting a screenwriter nomination in the UK, part of the argument is, well, okay, the distributor is going to have to pay some tens of thousands of pounds, dollars, euros, maybe, you know, or some amount of money if that writer, director, writer, whatever gets a bonus. And that, could hurt their bottom line. So if the bonus is too high, it actually inhibits, it disincentivizes the distributor from, from chasing that, that award for that person. Do you know what I mean? So you're kind of, you're saying to the agent, well, yeah, you could look for this, but you know what's going to happen then. They're not, it's not in their interest to actually try and get this, you know, so it's, so it's complicated. And, and if you ladle on too many bonuses onto a film that you say you haven't sold yet in America, then when they come to look at the film and they look at the list of bonuses that are potentially payable, that could just make it, yeah, uncommercial, unwieldy for them. So it's a, it's a, it's a real balancing sword. act. Yeah, yeah. We're a very small economy. By far our biggest trading partner is Britain. It's, you know, it's really important to us, um, much more so than you know, any other single country by a long shot. So, so it's very complicated for Ireland just on a macro level. Um, and we hate the idea of it happening. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, I suppose, you know, it, it will be, I think it will be hard for British companies, you know, because there is, and I, you know, I have friends who work in science and technology and who are part of all these European programs and it's equally, you know, devastating for them. But, you know, the access to British funds, so to European funds for, you know, development and all that stuff is so important, you know, and presumably that will be shut off. 
unless there's some, you know, let's see, God knows it's it's an evolving situation, unless there's some version of, of a soft Brexit, which means that it's a kind of Swiss style or Norwegian style or whatever they say. I mean, I know that might be wildly optimistic. Um, you know, having said that also, I mean, we co-produce with countries outside of the EU all the time as well. I mean, with Canada, as I mentioned, we do stuff in America all the time. So I think, and we've company here in the UK. So I think selfishly, it'll probably be fine. I think for the UK film industry, I think it won't be a good thing at all. Uh, and neither do I think it's a good thing for, for Ireland, you know, but I, I, I just, I can only hope that, you know, they'll sort it out in such a way that it won't, you know, fuck everything up, you know, that's all I can hope, really. One thing that's definitely the case is because Room, the book existed, that, and was such a success, that really helped us get the film made. I mean, and Disobedience as well, but, but Room was a, you know, big hit book. Um, so, so in a sense, an unpublished manuscript, it, it, then it's all about the story, actually. You know, it's sort of I, like, in other words, what I'm saying is that I don't think I'd see it as an advantage to not have to pay the rights to the book, particularly because stories come from all sorts of places and out of people's heads or whatever it is. So then it's really about how do we choose projects and, you know, what, what you know, how do we come to, to decide to, you know, get involved in a film? And it's, it's um, you know, obviously, you know, we have these long-term, I hope, uh, filmmaker relationships, which, you know, are always in constant dialogue. You know, we're always talking to Lenny and Yorgos and other, other filmmakers about what we'll do next, stuff coming in, you know, how we'll work together. That's, that's a constantly kind of dynamic conversation. Um, outside of that, when we, you know, look at material to develop, um, I mean, it's it's always about finding, I mean, we're very filmmaker driven. In other words, finding someone who kind of has a, you know, very particular, distinct vision. Um, that's likely to be someone who's made a film already, but not necessarily. You know, um, it could be an incredible short film or it could be someone from another discipline, maybe an actor who has an idea who, you know, I mean, one of the films that was very big in Toronto, for instance, was... Greta Gerwig's film, Lady Bird, you know, and that was her first film. She wrote the script and, you know, it's, it's a, a really great piece of work. Um, so, so it's really all about, I mean, for us, it's about kind of finding things that cut through um, because it's so hard. Uh, and unless you make something that sort of, in our world at least, that is sort of, you know, um, the very best version of what it can be and that it is also just original and different and new uh, in terms of what it has to say or how it says it. It's, it, it's, it's, it's really hard to make an impression and I, I don't think it's getting any easier. So it is all about kind of original voices, whether that's the story or the director or both. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we're trying to option a, a book at the moment, an Irish book. I won't say what it is, but it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant piece of fresh writing and, you know, and you know just fallen in love with it and that it's sort of it's you just respond to things in that way it's a kind of uh but 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 i suppose also you just have to it's why it's so important i think i mean when i was in toronto i tried to see as many films as possible and and i i often think that and i'm sure none of you would be guilty of this but i do think that it it, it strikes me sometimes that in our in our industry that a lot of people don't see enough of the work that's being made. And it's so important to watch, you know, contemporary cinema to see what's going on internationally. And particularly this time of year, there's so many movies out there because you just have to be aware of not only the actors, but also the kind of themes that people are following and, you know, what, what the current cinema is, because you, you kind of constantly have to sort of see what you're doing in the, in that, in that context. Um, and, and so that really informs like my experience at Toronto and I saw probably about 20 films at Toronto recently. I'll definitely take that home and that will inform how we look at certain things that we're doing. And, and also there, you know, you also observe big trends in the market as well, which influence what you're doing and how you're doing it. And you just have to be out there kind of engaging with it all the time, I think. I believe doing anything by committee in our world is a mistake. You know, um, and 
I think you've got to have someone who has the casting vote and that needs to be ideally director or writer. You know, in other words, I think when producers have the casting vote, it's dangerous. And I don't mean that in any sort of self-deprecating way, but actually, ultimately, you need, you need, you know, an artist with a vision at the center of something. And certainly when we, when we work with, like, say, Len, you know, we've, I don't know, we've probably about 10 things in development with him. Um, there's a group of us that feed into those projects and comment on them and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, his instincts and his kind of instincts really, but also his decisions prevail. Now, that's in a very collegiate atmosphere. There's no one, you know, it, but but it's, you know, everyone talks about it. But and, 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 you know, to be fair, he's almost always the brightest person in the room. So it's kind of, you know, it, you know, and, and he's a, he's a great director. So what he says is very compelling. But I think I think you have to bring that into every project you have. And sometimes with newer voices, younger directors, younger writers, they've less confidence and you have to be very careful because they're actually the ones you can really fuck up because in a way they possibly listen to you too much. You know, even if you're not forcing ideas on them, they maybe listen to you too much because they haven't got the sort of experience to follow their own instincts or they want to please or they think if they do something, it'll be more likely to happen or, you know, it's, 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 it's very hard and we've definitely fucked things up. We've overdeveloped things and lost the good in them and, you know, and, and, um, yeah. So it's, 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 it's a real balancing act. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ed Guiney, for your time. Thank, Thank you all you. for coming. Thanks.